Hi, everybody. Just a warning for today's episode. We are talking about someone's experience with postpartum depression. So I just wanted to make sure if you are listening and you feel like it's a trigger that you contact the right support people um, or you can skip this episode. In America, there's Postpartum Support International, which is postpartum.net, and the number is 1-800-944-4773. In Australia, there is the association called PANDA, and the PANDA National Helpline is 1-300-726-306, and that's at panda.org.au. Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Laurie Forner a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Lori here. If you are just joining joining us, then welcome. Today, I am speaking with Nadine Brown. She is a physiotherapist with a special interest in pelvic health for men, women, and children. She works in private clinic at Upper Coomera on the Gold Coast. She sees pelvic health patients. She's also working out of the Gold Coast University Hospital, where she has worked as both a rotational physio, which includes a wide variety of inpatients and outpatients and currently works in cancer care outpatients. She is an experienced personal trainer with over 10 years and she combines her physio experience to design exercise programs that are not only appropriate for pelvic floor issues but also suitable for rehabilitation of general musculoskeletal and orthopedic issues. She competed in boxing for five years winning two state professional titles and numerous amateur titles. She brings a wealth of life experience to her role as a physio and is deeply passionate about sharing her struggles with postnatal depression and anxiety in the hopes that it will help other new mums in what is a fundamentally life-challenging time. So today she is here to tell us about her story and, you know, what she went through as a patient, but at the same time with the knowledge of being a women's health physio. And it was a really um, touching story and it's beautiful. And she has really good tips and ideas at the end, which we have actually worked together to create a little infographic on her tips to help um, women in early motherhood. So hopefully you will see the link to that infographic attached to the show notes. As I said just before this podcast started, if you find that listening to stories like this triggers you, um, even if you decide, you know, if you decide not to listen because you know it's going to trigger you, great. Whereas some people don't realize that while they're listening to these kind of stories, that it then kind of triggers an emotional response. So please, if it does, you know, you can stop listening, um, but also contact Helpline if you need it there is Panda National Helpline in Australia it's 1-300-726-306 and you can go to panda.org.au there is COPE the, cent- the Centre of Perinatal Excellence 
Um, that's cope.org.au. In the U.S., there's Postpartum Support International. That's 1-800-944-4773. And that's postpartum.net. And they do have a link for international support. And I'll also put a link to the show notes of her blog um, post that she had done for Sue Croft, which we are talking about in this episode as well. But like I said, it's a, it's a beautiful story, but the the tips and information that she gives that really helped her, I think will be really helpful for others. So I hope you enjoy. Thanks for coming on the podcast, giving me your time. And the reason that I wanted you to come on was because you recently did a beautiful blog post on um, your struggles with, um, you know, issues surrounding mental health after having, um, after having a baby. And I find a lot of, you know, there's a lot of women out there who will be going through the same things. Everyone's experience is so different, but I really like that you come at it really from two ways. You've got the personal experience, but you're also a women's health physio working with women who are going through this. So yeah, yeah. um, yeah, this will be, I'm really excited to hear more about the story. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to come on. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, You'll have to excuse my croaky voice, though, because I do have a little bit of a chest infection sort of thing going on. So if I sound a little bit odd, that's probably why if I stop for a cough, sorry. No, do you get to blame um, your son? Oh, yeah, yes. definitely daycare. Daycare yeah. brings home all the germs, yeah. And it's June, which is winter in Australia. And even though, you know, as a Canadian, I didn't think that Australia got cold. When it goes down to four degrees, we do not have insulation or heating. Yeah. So four degrees is very cold here, but no it one believes cold. me. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess the blog um, came about, I was at one of the APA um Saturday morning lectures and I bumped into um, the lovely Sue Croft and we just started chatting and um, I sort of just, I don't know, I, I wasn't trying to get like clinical information out. We were just chatting um, about the pessaries that I'd tried and some of the symptoms that I'd had and I think because the lecture itself was a lecture from um, Fiona Rogers, it was an update about all of the pelvic floor exercise, um, the equipment and stuff. And there, a lot of questions came up. I sort of jumping in a little bit from a personal perspective um, with some of the weights and cones and balls and TENS machines and things like that um, and the pelvic floor educators on specifically using them for women with levator avulsion um, because I have a right-sided avulsion. So I was sort of just asking Fiona questions along the way and um, of what was appropriate to use and whatnot in case I'd come across that anytime clinically with any patients, I would know what was likely to be useful or not. So chatting with Sue about it and um, I, I used the term um, that it was quite a grief process for me, um, particularly in that first year, um, knowing that something wasn't quite right, like even just from a pelvic floor perspective, it was a bit of a grief process. And she said, it's really interesting that you used that term that it's it was grief and I said well it was really because I was angry and I was den- I was denying and you know all of the all of the stages and I said I think I'm at a point now where I'm accepting what it is and I'm just going to find ways to move forward and make 
me a better physio for that. And that's when, that's how the blog came about. So she said, oh, you know, would you mind writing a blog for the website? So I just sort of threw down a whole bunch of my thoughts and went over it about 10 times and reworded it and reworded it. Um, Yeah, so after I wrote it, um, it went up and it got shared and I actually got quite a few private messages from people, even um, people within the physiotherapy industry who had experienced these things themselves and who were feeling like at a loss themselves because they thought being a physio they should know what to do and they should know how to handle the emotions and they should know how to rehab themselves. Um, but it just isn't always the case. Um, it's it's hard to manage yourself and, um, you know, I have patients that come in for, for me that I see and, um, you know, one's a psychologist and one's another physio and I just say, Remember that we don't manage ourselves well. Um, surrender a little bit to the treatment that we you know to the assistance that someone else help you on this journey. And so I had to do, I had to do the same. I had to, I guess, just surrender to the help that I got from my women's health physio, to my GP, to a psychologist. Um, you know, to to sort of just get through it rather than self manage it and go, oh well, you know, I'm a women's health physio. I not I know what to do. So that's pretty much how the blog came about. Yeah, so I I feel like I need to write more, but I just have to find the time. (laughs) Well, yes, I would love you to write more. Um, But yeah, like we were talking about before I press record, finding time when you have children and you're working um, is is really hard. Um, I will put a link to the blog post so that people can access it. But for those who haven't read it yet, can you talk us through kind of you know if, if we back up a little bit you know yeah, you were sure. were pregnant and then you had yep. childbirth and you know sort of what happened yep. and what led to all the feelings that you were yeah. having so um so um got pregnant um and by week five I was sick I was sick already like nauseous sick sick and I also um got um pneumonia it was actually chlamydia pneumonia which I got from a friend (laughs) uh, who I came into close proximity with and she was devastated that she passed it on to me so I was double whammy I was really crook and that pretty much started what was going to be just the an awful it was it was an awful pregnancy and I feel really bad to say that but um Sick the whole way, pretty much it was like seven months of just sick, sick. It wasn't hyperemesis, it, it, but it was just constant sickness from morning to night, wake up to go to sleep. It affected everything. It just affected my mood, affected my work. Um, and I know there was definitely antenatal signs there from a mental health perspective. I, I, looking back now, I, I, it, it was blaringly obvious. Um, and then about 12 weeks um, I started to get the classic round ligament pain down on the left side. GP assessed me. Yep, that's round ligament pain. All right, do all the good things that, you know, a physio would do. Then at about week 18, I had done an exercise session with a girlfriend, which um, I think I was trying to be hashtag fit mum and I was going a little bit hard. And the next day I had this massive bulge in my left side of my groin, just off the side of 
the mons pubis, which is I'm pointing to myself and I know I can, no one can see me. Um, the mons pubis is that sort of fatty part down on the front of the pubic bone. And I had this massive painful bulge and it was, oh God, it was, it was like, it was felt like it was burning all the time. And so I got that ultrasounded um, and it turns out that it was um, a herniation of some varicose veins of the round ligament that had herniated into the inguinal canal. Plus I had um, vulval varices all everywhere, which were very painful and hot and annoying all the time. So I pretty much felt like I was walking around work because I work um, both in private practice and in the hospital on the wards as well. And I felt like I was always walking around just holding on to my crutch all the time just to apply pressure because it was so uncomfortable. Um, so there was that. I had, a, I had a lot of birth fear. Um, I was definitely very afraid to give birth um, and just emotional, I think, normal pregnancy emotion. So the, the pregnancy journey for me was probably not all of the, the butterflies and roses that I expected or hoped or wanted it to be. I just couldn't wait to not be pregnant anymore. Um, and then through, I guess, having seen people clinically myself that had had pelvic floor trauma and incontinence and things like that, I went about doing a whole bunch of research for and against vaginal delivery versus for and against cesarean birth, weighing it all up. Um, Treating yourself or trying to treat yourself. Self-managing, yeah, of course. Um, came to the conclusion that I wanted an elective cesarean, um, not because in any way it was going to be easier than a vaginal delivery, absolutely not, um, but I knew that I had certain risk factors. I was advanced maternal age, um, I was had a, a big baby, I was carrying a big baby, we'd done sizing scans, family history of prolapse. There was things there that I just thought I want to try to mitigate risk to my pelvic floor. Um, I guess having seen and spoken to a lot of women who were devastated, you know, from having these things happen to them at birth that they were like, well, I didn't know I was going to be wetting myself for the rest of my life. I didn't know I wasn't going to run after my son for the rest, you know. So I thought, okay, well, this is not really uh, it's a difficult decision no matter what I do. So had um, a pretty significant battle to get my elective caesarean signed off. I'm not going to go into that too much, but. Was it private or public? It was public. Okay, yep. And um, anyway, I, I got lots of support from the consultants, um, but not so much from the birth care worker, the midwife whose care I was supposed to be under. Um, so anyway, I got the caesarean signed off um, and it was booked in for 39 plus two. And, of course, in true Harry, Harry's my son, true Harry style, he came early and he came very fast. So I was in um, I was in the birth, the labour ward, and I was in a, a different room. I wasn't even in birth suite. My waters broke at... Um, quarter past three in the morning and it was about a 20-minute drive to the hospital. So, of course, I didn't ring to plan ahead for theatre. I just arrived at the hospital and said, I'm in labour and um, can I really stick to the plan, please? Here's all my paperwork. And they said, oh, did you ring on your way in so that we could prep theatre for you? And I said no because I was having contractions in the car. <laughs> um, 
So really, really fast birth. They barely had. Uh, they said, "Look, we'll try and we'll try and get you to theatre, but um, we do have someone in there having an emergency seat at the moment." So we pretty much have to wait. And so they got me cannulated, um, the needle in the hand. They got my TED stockings on, those white compression things. And um, by the time, by the time um, a different midwife who and I didn't end up going with that other midwife, um, by the time my midwife, who was my birthing one, came back to check theatre, I was eight centimetres. Wow. So um, he ended up coming really quickly um, vaginally. So I probably just... I think deep down inside I knew that was going to happen. I think all along I knew that was going to happen. Um, but I thought, no, no, I'm going to get this cesarean, no, no. <laughs> so the day that my antenatal, um, the birth prep thing was on at the hospital, I was actually really sick. So I didn't get to that either. So I guess I sort of was going into childbirth just with my general knowledge. Um, I hadn't really done probably naively, and I probably should have, um, done a lot of prep for a vaginal delivery and how to breathe and how to get through it. And so I went in just absolutely terrified. So um, had him, he was, it was a big one. He was 4.9 kilos, 4.09 kilos, nearly 4.1. He was a big one. I knew it was going to be. Um, So at all the end of that, um, really minor um, internal labial stitches, but but no perineal trauma, nothing outwardly obvious that I could see. And I thought, oh wow, like you know, I was worried for nothing. Like it's it's fine. Um, but I think as time went on, um, you know, it was about five. I was I was five weeks postpartum, and I actually made an appointment with um, a colleague of mine who works in women's health in in private practice. And I went to her and I said, can you check down there? because something's not right and I'm getting the mirror down there having a look. And anyway, yeah, there was some um, good movement of the anterior wall and a bit of the posterior wall. Um, But she said, look, you're really early, like, you know, you're five weeks, you're breastfeeding, things will change when you're breastfeeding, um, blah, blah, blah. Come back to me in a few weeks. Go, let's get your constipation sorted out. We'll do all the things that we would do that I I knew to do, but I needed someone else to, to tell me. So I went back a few weeks later and um, the laxity was still there, so the prolapse was still there, but no detection of the avulsion or anything at that point. So she said, look, let's just keep going with your pelvic floor exercises, Um, obviously take care with heavy lifting and all this sort of stuff, Um, but stick to some walking and look after your bowels and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, I I didn't go back um, just – life in general and, and a new baby was very hectic and I didn't go back um, for some time. So um, it wasn't actually until about nine, ten months postpartum that I went back to her and I said, something is definitely not going, it's not right down there, so you need please assess me again. So she she did a digital examination and she, she said, there's a bit of gapping up the right there I can feel. Um, so she very, very kindly got me in to see the lovely Vivian Wong about two days later um, and she did all the 4D ultrasounds and everything and she phoned me a few days later and she said, well, I don't really want to have to be the one to tell you this because I know that you know what it all means, um, but there is a right-sided avulsion and increased um, ballooning, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, she said, look, let's, you know, we don't have to do anything with it now. It's just more information. And it was just after a really rough year, um, it was just a, a cherry on the top that I just thought I knew it. I just bloody knew it, you know. I, I'd, but there was no one to blame. There, there was, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't rationalise it in my head because it was like, well, I got the cesarean signed off in the end, but nature took its course, and there was just nothing I could do. Um, but it sort of, I guess, proved my point to myself that I knew I had these risk factors. I knew that these things were happening, and I ended up with exactly what I was trying to avoid. So I guess that's sort of what the blog is about in terms of that grief process of, um, you know, anger. There was anger that um, I guess I fought so hard to get this bloody cesarean signed off and it was just such a process. Did you find that that grief process started once you found out that you had an avulsion or was this happening that, you know, those first 10 months when you didn't feel like things were completely right? I was already very, very um, depressed. So um, sort of I I do want to give a little, I probably should have done it at the start, like for anyone who's suffering postnatal depression or anything like that, um, if any of, you know, I don't want to trigger anybody. So some things I guess I experienced, I've actually written a little list. Um, I was sleep deprived. Plus, 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 plus. Um, Harry was one of those horrific wakers who was sort of hourly to two hourly for about the first eight, nine months. It was beyond, yeah. I didn't think they woke that much and maybe he wasn't supposed to, but he did. That's just how it is. Um, I was I had this constant state of anxiety. Like I just felt... I felt like I was at the top of my breath all the time, um, a constant state of worry. If I left um, Harry at home with Daz, my partner, um, even just to go to the shops, I, I would go and do everything as fast as I possibly could because I didn't want to leave him here in case Harry was screaming and, you know, he was upset. Um, I couldn't sleep even when Harry was sleeping, particularly like in those first few months I'd hear him I'd hear him screaming when he wasn't even crying. He was asleep and I'd be in the bedroom and he, I would just hear him screaming and screaming and I'd run out to the lounge room and Darren's like, what are you doing? I said, I just, I'm sorry, I heard, I thought I heard Harry. I just, and he's like, go back to bed. Um, I was having like flashbacks into the birth suite of just the process, um, really low mood. Like I knew that exercise would help. Um, just a little a little rewind in terms of exercise. Um, So I think why it was probably so significant was I was so heavy into exercise prenatally. So I I boxed for five years. So I boxed as an amateur and a professional boxer. Um, So exercise for me was, it was everything. I would go to, you know, the stairs down at Caroman or Burley on the Gold Coast on a Sunday and run them just for fun because I was one of those annoying exercising people. it was everything to me. So feeling this low mood, I knew that exercise would probably help me, but I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Um, I didn't have the mood to do it. And I also felt um, like my symptoms wouldn't allow me to do it either, my prolapse symptoms. So it was sort of like this, you know, backwards and forwards. So I would just stick with walking. And most of that was actually to put my son to sleep, just to get him to go to sleep, was to walk. 
So that increased my fatigue because I'd be out sometimes walking for two hours just to keep it, get him asleep and keep him asleep. Um, I had, um, I was, I was a bit angry because I I did have lots of conflicting messages from child health workers, particularly about infant sleep, um, telling me to stretch out his breastfeeds and telling me that at 12 weeks old, he should be sleeping eight hours and just stuff that was just really confusing. Um, and I even actually had a a particular health professional tell me that people were going to think I was I had Munchausen syndrome um, if I sort of kept trying to make out that there was something wrong with Harry um, and that it was actually me who needed to relax. Um, and that was just like, okay, you're supposed to be helping me. Because <laughs> um, I kept saying there's something wrong. He's He cries all the time. He doesn't sleep. He vomits all the time. And um, yeah, so that was pretty hard because I sort of felt like I was making it up in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sore for a long time. I had really bad coccyx pain for a long time and my pelvic floor was sore for a long time. Um, and then I guess just lonely loneliness was a really big one and lots of, lots of mums that I talk to in private practice, they talk of the loneliness, that new mum loneliness. Um, and it was a it was a, a challenge because I stopped reaching out for people because I would constantly just get people trying to tell me how to fix Harry. Have you tried this? Have you bathed him in lavender? Have you tried this? Have you got this sleep doll? Have you done this? And I'm just like, I just, I want people to stop trying to fix him. Just listen, just how are you doing? I know this is hard. You'll get, it'll get better, you know, um, instead of fixing. And I know it was done in the, the best of intentions, but after a while, you just um, you end up just not returning messages, and you just end up going, "I just I, I can't. I don't have the energy for people." And then you get more lonely. So yeah. <laughs> it's such a it's a weird a weird place to be in. Um, and I guess there was a bit of guilt that I didn't birth, I didn't prep for vaginal birth better, um, and maybe for feeling as though because I, I knew I didn't have any perineal wound um, and I didn't know about the avulsion. Um, I only had, as far as I was told, some very, very minor um, internal labial stitches. So I thought to myself, well, I'm not really that injured. Why am I so sad? Why can't I get this together? Why can't I get myself together? Why am I so sad? So they were some of the things that I experienced up until that point. Um, And I think about eight months it was about eight months postnatal. I was pretty much at that point where I'm just like, I'm, I don't want to go on. It's I, this, I need to end. And that was sort of when my sister said, kid, you've lost so much weight. You've lost like 25 kilos. I only put on 20 during my pregnancy. <coughs> um, she's like, you're so skinny. You, there's something wrong. And uh, that's when I went to the GP and, um, I just, she was an absolutely beautiful GP. I love her. Um, and I just said, I'm not, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And I just really need some, I don't, I don't know which way to go now. So she was wonderful because she really assessed me from that whole body, whole person perspective. And she's um, of Indian background. And so for her, that concept of villages and support networks and eating together and dancing and joy, 
was something that she talked about with me. And she said, when was the last time that you had fun, Nadine? When was the last time you really laughed down to your belly? And I just burst into tears and I said, I I actually don't remember. I don't remember. And I was scoring consistently um, in a severe category for the Edinburgh postnatal depression, which is only, um, it's actually a screening tool. It's not a diagnostic tool. Um, and also the DAS, which is the DAS 21 so consistently scoring in the severe categories for all of them, and she just said, "Honey, we need to we need to get this sorted now." Um, because I was sort of at that point where I'm thinking, "Okay, I've got to go back to work um, at the hospital next year. I'm not I'm not going to cope. Like um, I'm not going not myself." So um, she said, "Right, let's just get a plan." Okay. I want you to get some probiotics for your gut. I want you to start eating better. We're going to start you on a very low-dose antidepressant. I'm going to give you a healthcare plan to this lovely psychologist, and I want you to go home and put some music on and dance around, and I, I want you to we, – we have to attack this from all angles, nutrition, exercise, everything, and I want you to come back to me in a week's time, and we're going to chat again, and then after that you'll come back in a week's time. And she was just like – my saving, honestly, um, in terms of medical professionals, having a, a good GP that really just doesn't write you a script for antidepressants and marches you out, like someone who really can look at you from that whole perspective and just just see how how sick you are. It's it's so so important. Um, so yeah, so by the time I got the um, diagnosis of the avulsion there was almost a little bit of relief in it to be quite honest with you because it kind of justified why I'd been feeling so weird downstairs Physically, yeah. like it, it was sort of like oh now I know why I feel like things just aren't quite right and when I cough I feel things coming down and when I try and do my kettlebells I feel things moving and I felt like there was a tampon that had moved down and just that sort of thing. So it was, it, it was actually almost a sense of I was devastated, I, I was, and I know that's a heavy word to use um, because I knew that it would change things for me um, and it sort of made sense why too much information, why I wasn't able to successfully use tampons anymore. I was just like, what is going on down there? So there was devastation and, and anger mixed with relief, like, oh, now I know what it is. I can manage it and we just move forward. Um, so that plus um, starting on some um, very low-dose SSRIs, which is a type of um, antidepressant as a mood stabiliser, <coughs> Heading back to work one day a week in private practice was really, really important um, because it just gave me something to focus on that wasn't just mm -hmm. my son um, all the time and having conversations with other adults and um, I think maybe helping me come in back into that caretaker role, um, that professional role, I could just put on my makeup wash my hair, put on my brave face, and it was almost a fake it till you make it. And I, I did start to feel better. And my partner says to me that going back to work was an absolute turning point for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I made a little bit of a, a, a list of resources of things that kind of helped me. Um, Which would be so excellent. And the reason that I wanted to do this 
Yeah. Yeah, um, and I probably should put it into a blog. Um, so good friends um, was was definitely I have I had girlfriends that would message me, stick by me even when I ignored their messages or I took three days to answer back. They would just they would just hang in there with me and no amount of whinging that I did about Harry's wakefulness was ever enough to make them turn away. Um, it was just always, oh, Nads, hang in there, babe. You know, you, you're doing great. And that was so important. Like a, a couple of my, my good physio friends and I've got a GP friend who doesn't treat me as a GP. She's a friend. Um, so, yeah, coffee dates where, you know, I, I found just finding that little mama tribe of, of mums that, weren't trying to fix things, but just support, just, oh, mate, you know, I've been there and that's hard, oh, that's a hard stage and um, just do what you can to get rest when you can, but not, no, oh, have you tried this or have you bought that or have you tried this sleep association or whatever. Um, like I said before, a GP, a good GP, um, someone that's um, compassionate will take the time, even, you know, book a double appointment if you have to, but because they need to be looking at you from that full multidisciplinary approach. Are you needing help with your food? Are you um, uh, deficient? And uh, that was another thing. I was anemic as, as hell. I had two iron infusions in six weeks because I was just everything had gone south. Um, I actually removed myself from all social media pages and things that made me doubt myself as a mum. Um, or made me feel bad about myself so that I wasn't exercising enough or that I didn't have it all together or I wasn't out, you know, hashtag mum life, hashtag blessed. It just, it, it wasn't good for my mental state. And I just, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Or, you know, you, I followed I followed some other ones like Pinky McKay and the Milk Meg and, some others that, um, you know, Mrs. Mombastic and a few of these other ones that really talk about the fact that waking babies, babies are normal babies and frequent breastfeeders are normal babies instead of it being um, oh, made to feel like I had some abnormal kind of child because he wanted to feed a lot or because he catnapped. And, or you weren't doing something right. Or I wasn't doing something right. So really aligning myself with um, the kinds of, friends and support networks and social medias that um, I could relate to and that would I could have a laugh at you know about how hard parent life actually is um, instead of feeling like I just wasn't coping. Um, the medication the Lexapro definitely did help me and I know that medication isn't for everyone um, but it, it definitely I, it, there was a noticeable difference in my anxiety and feeling, feeling like I was just oh that's, I just felt better. I felt able to relax and, and laugh. Um, going back to work uh, was important. The um, How to Heal a Bad Birth book was actually really, really good as well. I got a copy of that, just read through it. Um, and I've actually since spoken to a couple of people who were involved in with me antenatally or my birth and have gotten a little bit of justification of um, that, yeah, it, it was um, it was a trying time, and that I wasn't supported properly through my time leading up to my birth, um, which kind of made me feel justified. And from a pelvic floor perspective, um, 
I start I just made a decision with myself to just just squat just get an eight kilo kettlebell and just try some goblet squats just try some swings just try some lunges um put my boxing gloves on my beloved boxing gloves <laughs> go to the gym whack crap out of the bag for half a dozen rounds and just do it and just just see how I felt um and I started to feel that I didn't have any negative effects down there and if if there was a particular exercise that made me feel funny I would just say all right that's not right for me right now it's probably it's not that it'll never be right for me but at this point in time I'm going to try something else so I've just gradually added in into my repertoire back in exercises of sled pushes and kettlebells and cable machine and all these things. And I was like, oh, my God, I just feel so much better. Um, and that's taken a long time. I've, I've really had to just pace myself back and go, I mean, I don't ever have any intentions of professionally boxing ever again. My, my boxing is done. Um, but there was that niggling little, oh, I have to get back to where I was. I want to be able to squat like that. And then I think I just had to go, you know what, Nadine, start where you are or you're never going to get to where you want to be. If, if I keep putting it off and keep saying, well, I can't squat 80 kilos, I'm not even going to bother. Well, that's just silly because I'm never going to. Um, and how important really is it that I lift those that, that those things that I used to do? Well, it's it's not really not not for me, um, and I know that there are a lot of mums out there. I, I treat CrossFit ladies. They come in and they say, "I really, you know, I want to get my back squat back." And I say, "Okay, that's a great goal. Let's just start where we are." Um, but for me, I know that I'm never going to be at a competitive level. I have no intention of being at a competitive level. So reassessing my goals, um, what does exercise mean for me? It's I want to be able to run after Harry when he's on his push bike, um, you know, run after him when he's on his scooter. Um, we chase each other in the backyard. Doing those sort of things is that that's important to me. Um, weight management so my prolapse doesn't feel more symptomatic is important for me rather than numbers. That That's just my, my, my view of what's important for me. So... Um, yeah, I think just sort of getting getting back to early on, I was trying so hard to just, I just wanted to be me again, but it just wasn't possible um, because I was so tired and I'd try and take Harry to the gym, put him on the mat and hope that he would be one of those placid babies that would lay under the little toy thing and no he wouldn't he would scream and scream and I would just stand there and burst into tears in the middle of the gym and my coach would come over and give me a hug and I'd say I just want to be me again I just want to lift weights and do my kettlebells again um and the only thing that fixed that to be honest was time was just was just riding out that newborn phase um and then once Harry started walking and stuff things got better you know, he occupied himself and I, and I can do my workouts now and we can go for, you know, scooter rides in the park and stuff like that. So there, there was just an element of time. I just had to pull back and, and be kind to myself like I'm always telling my patients to do and just go, this is a heavy, heavy period of life and putting extra pressure on myself to be this overachieving mother and exerciser and blah, blah, blah. It's, it just wasn't happening. So I just needed to pull back. So that's a really roundabout answer of things that helped. Yeah. No, they're wonderful. I think they're 
they're really good tips. Um, I just wanted to back up a little bit. When you um, you said it was your sister that kind of prompted you that something wasn't right and you had to go and see somebody, if she had said something earlier, do you think you still would have listened? Like I, I see a lot of women and like what you're saying, like the fact that it takes eight months to finally go, I am not right. Like, how do we catch this earlier? I don't know, Laurie. It's, um, I, I just don't know. I, I ask, I make a point of asking every mother that I see, every one of them, even it doesn't matter how bright and fresh and freshly make up do they look. I always say to them, and how are you doing? Are you feeling okay within yourself? Um, are you getting some sleep? Not do you have a good baby? Is your baby sleeping? Is he, you know, are you doing okay? Do you have some friends to catch up with and have a coffee or something? And they go, yeah, yeah, gee, it's lonely, isn't it? And they start to chat a little bit. And I guess, I guess, I, I think just we as health professionals having a support, Keep your appointments. <laughs> keep your appointments with your GP. Keep your appointment with your pelvic health physio. Keep keep your appointment with those people who are going to ask that question and pick it up um, because so often, you know, we cancel appointments in that early period and, and things are getting missed under the radar because we, we're not leaving the house because we're stuck in that newborn haze and it, that's probably a big reason why things get missed. Um, personally, I kept thinking... It'll get better once he just starts sleeping more. If I just get some sleep, I'll feel better. I think I don't know how many times I said that. If I just got some sleep, and it wasn't. It it, it was more than that. It was more than just him sleeping. Um, like I said, my my iron was down. I was anemic and just yeah, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was living off toast because. If I try and put him down to make a sandwich, he'd scream. So I think I've got a picture on my Instagram from early on where he's in a carrier. He's in the carrier and I'm in the kitchen. And I said, carriers save lives because now I can make a damn sandwich with, without him screaming at me. Uh, yeah, I mean, the six-week postnatal checkup at the GP, um, I guess unless you've got a GP that sits with you and takes the time to, to really look at you and really see, but... I dare say that a lot of the things aren't probably rearing their heads until a little bit further down the track anyway because mm. I think everyone expects they're going to be tired and sleep-deprived in that first couple of months. But then all of a sudden it gets to five months and six months and seven months and things might not be getting any better. The baby is starting to sleep but you're still not feeling any better. Um, that's that's something you can't ignore. Um and there's a lot of people out there say, oh, I don't, I don't want to take medication. I don't want to go on antidepressants. Well, it's, it's not for everyone, and that's okay. Um, but it might be, it might just be a couple of sessions with a psychologist just to dump a whole heap of stuff. And I'm angry because I can't exercise, and I'm angry because of this, and I, I feel frustrated about this. And just get it all out and talk to someone. You know, if you can find a good perinatal psychologist, that's even better. Um, but when you're sort of getting on in that, you know, towards that first year, that end of that first year, and you're still feeling like something's not right, you, you just you have to take steps to help yourself. And, yeah, I, I was definitely in denial. I'm like, no, no, I get more sleep. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> it's so hard because when you're a bit of an overachiever, you, you don't want to look like you, you, you're not managing and that you're not coping. Um, it's just 
Yeah, uh, my my very good GP friend actually that I mentioned before, she was another really pivotal person, and she said, "Nads." <laughs> She calls me dad. She says, you know, it's often you overachievers, you know, the professional women who struggle a lot because we're so used to having our ducks in a line all the time. Everything is <clears throat> you're used to diagnosing things. You diagnose the problem. You fix the problem. She said, you can't diagnose your baby and he's going to wake up. And she said, and you know, go to the doctor and get your pelvic floor, go to the you know, physio, get your pelvic floor checked. Don't manage yourself. So, um, yeah, little voices of reason like that were helpful. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to pick it up earlier. I, I think maybe maybe a 12-week GP check, maybe a three-month one um, as well, not just six weeks, off you go, you're off into the wilderness, you know, good luck with it. Um, it's, it's probably not until after that time that the loneliness sets in. Um, you know, and and some of those other things start to actually set in, and you sort of think you start to think, wow, this motherhood gig's actually pretty hard. You know, reading your blog post, you know, there's a lot yeah. of information uh, that we've yeah. talked about today that you know yeah. I wasn't aware of, but I'm so grateful yeah. for you to share that because, again, yeah. like even like you, you said, through pregnancy, everybody yeah. expects it to be such a wonderful yeah. time and the newborn phase yeah. and I don't think people are speaking enough about when it's not and that you know it's yeah. I think it's probably I mean it's probably more prevalent than we know because people aren't talking yeah. about it enough or catching it yeah yeah and it's like um that um uh, you and I were chatting the other day about that um the psychological you know sort of um consequences with particularly like with a, a traumatic delivery, um, it's it's so un, I, th I think it's underreported. I think the statistics that are out there, um, I've got the article here actually. Um, now over thirty percent of women who deliver vaginally suffer trauma that is associated with future morbidity such as pelvic organ prolapse, sexual dysfunction, and anal incontinence. Now that's that thirty percent that's actually reported. Yeah. How many out yeah. there? are suffering and, and not speaking up. Um, the World Health Organization lists psychological illness as a significant indirect cause of maternal death in the first year. Maternal death, mother mothers are dying after birth and has accordingly initiated an urgent international call for the integration of maternal mental health into maternal and child health care programs. I mean, this is a crisis. It actually is, and and I'm not being overdramatic. It's it's an under-researched, under-reported crisis, and there's there's mums out there who who are who are just uh, at the end of it, you know, and and they don't know where to go, um, and mothers are dying because of of this stuff, and it's something has to be done in terms of casting the net wider, deeper picking up where women are suffering is it an expectations thing are we expecting too much out of pregnancy and and motherhood um uh, are pelvic floor issues really the big factor and they're being missed and therefore women are suffering like it's oh the the i was doing a little bit of research stuff to find this article in the first place to help a colleague with a project and there's just so much out there about you know traumatic delivery and psychological the links um, 
so yeah, so something definitely has to be done. But there's there's too many women who are suffering unnecessarily, and it's I don't know what needs to be done. But yeah. yeah. Thank you again for being so open and, and sharing your story. And like you said, with your kind of stages that you are now in the acceptance stage and, yep. you know, yep. that may be something that you're accepting yeah. for a period of time, a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm exercising regularly. Um, again, there's some things that I just don't do. I'm back to doing a bit of jogging and running, which I love. Um and Harry's a toddler. He's he's two and three months. So I tell you that exercise, he just feels like I'm lifting up a little feather. Like he, I just feel like I can just pick him up and it's, it's not a problem because sometimes you're lugging. I'm going to daycare. I've got him on my hip. I've got my work bag tr- trying to get into the garage. I've got his daycare bag. And that's, it's not an effort because I started to get my strength back. Um, Mm. so it's just benefited me so much from my mental health perspective, from my physical perspective, my premenstrual symptoms are nothing like what they were six months ago. So the exercise is even helping with that, like my cramps and stuff, um, back to work, work at private practice and the hospital feeling so, so much better and just really feel like I have the confidence to say to other mums, when they say, oh, I, wanted, I want to exercise or whatever and I'm, I'm scared that it's going to make my symptoms worse, hey, let's just try body weight squat. Let's just try sit to stand. You know, let, let's just put a few movements together that feel better. And it's amazing their face lights up in the, in the, in the gym at um, the clinic and they're just like, oh, wow, I didn't think I'd be able to do that. So just look, looking at... Um, I guess, you know, looking at my life from a, a big whole perspective, trying to make sure I eat properly and um, if I, f- I feel down, well, I know I'm just not going to be the best version of myself that particular day and that's okay. Um, tomorrow's a new day and we can't always be perfect mothers and perfect partners and everything like perfect employees but, as you know, you just got to be a bit kind to yourself and realise that mum life's hard mm. <laughs> um, and we're yeah. just doing the best that we can yeah um are you happy for people to contact you if they want to talk a little bit yeah, um absolutely that's fine what's yeah. the best way for so, them to contact you so i work um my the private clinic that i work at is uc physio at upper coomera uc as in upper coomera uc physio um but all of my social media is actually empower pelvic health physiotherapy so empower pelvic health physio on facebook and instagram and twitter um i just set up that sort of pelvic health arm of things so that i wasn't saturating the the general clinic page with women's health stuff all the time. Um, But that's where I am location-wise, but you can find me on the social medias through Empower Pelvic Health. But, yeah, absolutely more than happy for people to contact me. It's even just having someone to say, you know what, me too, I went through that too, and and it's okay to feel like that is such an amazing – it can really mean a lot so that you don't feel like you're the only one that's that's feeling that way. Yeah, and one day – time permitting you might um write some more blogs okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely no <we'll... laughs> maybe Harry's in school yeah yeah that's right oh thank you again yeah. so much oh, thank you thank you very much for having me come on very excited thank you